0: Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the Ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by.
1: Hello, I'm Isabel, and. This is Agnes.
0: So, without further ado, The Girl of Taku today will be about morally gray anime slash morally gray moments in anime, part two. Our first part was me choosing four particular anime regarding their characters or particular scenes that's happened or even an entire theme of the series itself and exploring why these moments are considered morally gray. And also to hear the girls' opinions on where they stood alongside my personal opinion of where I stood. So we are continuing that little mini series, and today it is Agnes's turn. So, that's the part two. So, Agnes, uh, I will essentially hand the baton to you. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce the first morally gray situation in anime that you have for us, and you know explain to the audience exactly what made it so morally gray? And we will and say your piece of you know where do you stand, and we will offer our opinions as well.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, thanks for letting me do this. Uh, I did a lot of research because I was trying to come up with series that had a lot of morally great moments and I realized that a lot of the series that or titles I'm going to mention in here are movie-based and or may contain some triggering content for people who have not seen these movies. So if you're looking these up or you're curious about them, do proceed with caution if this is something that's not within your safety boundaries. Uh, but we'll start off relatively light <laughs> for this first time and then everything else starts to go a bit downhill
0: yeah to add on to that uh as you would expect from the first first morally gray uh episode but spoilers abound for this because we tend to oh, yeah. dive pretty deeply into the stories yep. and the themes so yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah, we'll be talking about the beginning and the ends of all these series or movies. Um, So, but we'll start relatively light. The first one we're going to talk about is Weathering With You. You guys all seen Weathering With mm, thea- You in theaters, yes, right? Yes.
1: Uh-huh.
2: All right? All right. So we know exactly what we're going to talk about in here. Um So the first thing I want to talk about is the relationship in Weathering With You between the two protagonists. And while it's a very sweet I guess, relationship between the two of them. There's a lot of glaring errors, aside from the movie's production and the, the relative pacing of the plot. There is an issue with, I think, how fans or audiences saw uh with their relationship. And the first being how Hodaka saves... uh What's her name? Hina? It's not... Hina, yeah. Hodaka tries to save Hina from sacrificing herself to whatever like weather gods exist within tokyo to save the city from flooding however instead of letting her be sacrificed he basically bolts it out of wherever he's being confined in saves her from being sacrificed and uh inadvertently lets tokyo become flooded or underwater the ending of the movie tries to kind of pad it a little bit by saying like it's not their fault because Children shouldn't have the burden of trying to save the world, or redo, or like try to mend the mistake of previous generations. And even then, people were, and then other characters in the movie were saying how, oh, Tokyo was going to be submerged underwater anyway. There was the, uh, it was just like a geographical, uh, means, and it was going to occur anyway. But I want to hear about your late, uh, the ladies of Girl Talku, your opinions on the Hodaka and the Hina relationship. In the second half of the movie. And do you think Hodaka should have saved Hina? Or should he have just left her to be sacrificed? So
0: I'll be happy to go first. Because believe it or not. Shauna and I watched this movie together. And we actually had a pretty extensive uh, conversation. Just between the two of us. Later after the movie. And so... And so it's like, so I, it's pretty sharp in my mind in regards to where I stand and why I stand this way. So the funny thing is I understand what Makoto Shinkai is trying to do, which he has actually confirmed in an interview where he said that this story is about the fact that it is not the children's responsibilities to clean up the prior generation's messes. It's not like, it's not fair for children to have to sacrifice parts of their own livelihoods, their own interests, their own passions or love to, for the greater good, because you know, their children, they shouldn't have to bear that responsibility. It should lay in the adult's hands to do something like that. So I understand, I respect where he's coming from. But my personal issue with this is if we follow that mindset and the adults clearly are not going to do anything to change things, to help things become better, then are we just going to let the world go to its doom because of that when you when you know you have the power to solve it? And that I don't think is the right answer and it could be because I personally would never actually choose my own personal relationship over the greater good and i probably come from a a family line of that Um, my grandfather was tortured during the cultural revolution and all he had to do was not write articles and not write and not write stuff because he was an author and guess who still continued writing because he believes the the citizens of china deserve to know and to analyze and to philosophically, you know, think things on their own and guess who got picked to be tortured during the Cultural Revolution. So I may I could be coming from a line of family of that mindset where it's like, you know, sometimes where it the greater good should always outweigh over your own personal relationship and stuff like that. And I think my other thing is also that when I, these are teenagers and I know for a fact that teenagers in regards to their feelings towards or their crushes towards other people and stuff like that, not a lot of them end up developing into genuine love and genuine uh, stable romantic relationships. A lot of them are infatuation and a lot of them are, even if very much love, quickly unfortunately so doesn't last because you get together when you're so young and you actively change when you get older and so it's like there's a part of there's a part of me that's the adult side that's like why are you literally allowing the entire city sink into the water for a girl who you clearly have a huge crush on you have a lot of feelings for but ultimately might not be any sort of lasting bond and so that's like the adult like meaner side of me I would say but definitely the second side of me is coming more from my background as well as an understanding of sort of the environment in other countries there are other countries out there where the older generation has messed something up really badly. And the younger generation very much have that mindset of, well, you guys are the ones who messed up. So why should it be our responsibility to fix this? Like you guys should fix it. But the issue with that is very rarely do the older generations admit to the fact that they've messed up and admit to the fact that they need to clean up. So what ends up happening is the younger generation fall into this sort of very nihilistic thinking, which I completely understand, but because they do not personally believe they should ever fight for the better. They also don't make moves, moves to make the country better, to try to change the culture and, or even to try and try to change adult people's minds because they're like, you guys should be able to figure it out on your own sort of thing. And seeing how dangerous of a mindset that is, like genuinely, historically, and even modernly looking at certain countries with younger generations with that mindset, I think it's just better to have a story that like, you know, does sort of push for a more more proactive stance. But, you know, once again, I do understand where Makoto Shinkai is coming from. So it's not to say that I don't think his theme is invalid in any shape or form. It's just not something that I personally would go with, is what I would say. So yeah.
2: <laughs> gotcha. Okay, I see where you stand with the with the movie and its characters, then, and the way that Makoto Shinkai tries to word the theme. What are your thoughts, Isabel?
1: Yeah, I can definitely see the theme as well. And if you think of it as a film, you usually want a happy ending. So. The- that's obviously one of the oh, reasons why it, yeah. it probably ended that way, and characters get together It's pretty much what you want to see. It could be a really sad movie as well, but I don't think the theme throughout the movie was leading towards that, because I really like the setup of between the two characters and how they meet, and how they work together to you know, clear up those rainy days for everyone and kind of show that they're able to have those nice, happy days again. And, but then I do think Hodaka, I feel I will take more of like an emotional approach. Like if I were him, I would probably save Hina, to be honest. That's the stance I would take because yes, he's crushing on her. It's like in the moment, maybe they might not get together in the end, like forever and get married or stuff like that. But if someone really dear to you is, you know, sacrificing themselves or in a position where they can be saved and you can save them, I think I would take that position. Even, you know, even though maybe the rest of the world is doomed, we'll we'll get through it together somehow or something.
2: <laughs> Such a romantic.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I think about it. Yeah, I just feel like I would take that stance. And so I don't blame him for that. I thought, you know, when he's like running down the train tracks and I just think that was uh, really romantic. And then um, I don't know. I feel like uh, Hina would really appreciate that. I feel like she was very lost, too, in a sense. I don't know, like, the space that where she was. Kind of, like, in, like, the clouds. Or I guess she was also kind of disappearing, in a sense. So it's kind of sad for her, as well. She didn't get to live a normal life, I want to say, either. So, yeah, sacrificing for one person, I feel like, is... It doesn't... It seems very minor. But then, in a sense, if you were the main character, if you were that person... Looking at them, you know, fading away, or doing something bad, you kind of want to save them if you can. So I would be more depressed. I feel like if Hodor didn't try to save Hina, if he maybe just was like, "Oh, okay," you know, this is good. I feel like I would. The ending. <laughs> this is like, fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. It just leave me feeling empty. Honestly, that's how I think about it. But yeah, that's okay. Those are my basic thoughts on it. But yeah, what about you, Agnes? Yeah, that's totally
2: valid. I can totally see, like, the two sides of your personalities come up with these two opposing opinions. <laughs> 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 Grace is, like, the more pragmatic, like, no, we must save, the, like, the the good of the world, we must save the many. And was like, no, we must save the one. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, yes, the situation. <laughs> I, I personally, uh, God, I, 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 de- I definitely understand both, so I'm also really torn when I look at this. But I also think, like, Makoto Shinkai could have made the movie much more dark as to to depict how like truly this is a burden that shouldn't be on children to bear and that there should be more like activists i feel that in the movie just like discussing the issue and really bringing it to light so when Hotaka does say pina at the end it's more of like there are two children who are alone in this world. It's this kind of like playing to the romantic bit. Two children who are alone in this world trying to lift the burden of other people while they're surrounded by adults who don't want to admit anything. So I think that would have appealed to both sides of the argument. Um uh, But yeah, as Isabel pointed out, this is supposed to be like a feels-good romantic film by Makoto Shinkai. Um So you can't, especially after watching... um uh, your name, yeah, you're, you're gonna have to expect like some some nice warm, gooey feels at the end. I also don't agree with how Hodaka does his approach of how to save Hida. I mean, the whole convoluted plot of yeah, I have a gun now, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah, think it was very was smart. Of, that was kind of jarring. And it honestly. was very I, yeah, it was very jarring. So overall, yeah, a lot of mixed feelings, a lot of. Don't think he should have done it that way, but I guess there's really no better way to execute it as well as we thought it could be. Well,
0: would you like in all in all, maybe, you know, not to do with a, you know, a a crush or anything like that, because I think what we can easily do is either replace her if like in our situations, either replace her with a loved one of your family or, you know, maybe a friend that you really, really have a close bond with and stuff like that. Would you uh, choose to sacrifice that individual who means a lot in your life for the greater good of the people or would like uh, like I was saying that, you know, my family has done before or or actually risk their own safety, I guess is a more proper way. Or would you would you choose to do whatever it takes to save them, let the other world let the rest of the world figure out the problem on their own?
2: I would probably go with them. So I would try to save them first but if there's no way of saving them and there's no other alternative to save the world afterwards I would go with them.
0: Oh, so you would sacrifice yeah. them but you would also leave essentially.
2: Yeah, because it's like it's kind of lonely, you know, thinking about what's on the other side of things and I don't want them if like if there is a consciousness that exists outside the realm of death then how do they cope with the idea that they don't get to enjoy anything, you know, afterwards? So I would go with them to keep them company.
0: Oh, shoot. That would be a really good way to end the movie. <laughs> I hope we went with that
2: route. Yeah, because Hodaka, Hodaka I feel that if because he, had, he doesn't like, get enough type yeah, development. If it's
0: like he had chosen to stay there with her instead, so it's like, so it's like yeah. he recognizes the future she lost and so he's choosing to like, make sure, like, she's not the only one who loses that future, and they can be together wherever that is, like,
2: ooh, like, that's, that would be really <laughs> like, Grace is like, yes, this is spicy, I like it. Ooh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: I quite like that one.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I feel like there are very few Uh, Japanese series that touch on the idea of like let's go together just because like they like to revel in the idea of like the angst and everything so like one character must be torn away from the other or they must save the world and let the rest of the world burn like yeah I mean you could just go with them
0: Oh, that is really interesting. I really like that. And I think and what's funny is I don't think anyone's even thought of that before because I agree there has been discourse over weathering with you's ending, which uh, Makoto Shinkai himself has admitted that he suspected what happened because he knew that his ending is not going to be accepted by everyone. But there is one half of the people who thinks Hodaka made the wrong decision, whether it's because he was extremely selfish to do so or whether on a more empathetic stance of, you know, I get it. You know, it's really hard to lose that somebody, but if it's for the greater good, you should do it. Or the other side, which is, you know, Isabel's side, um, you know, when if you love someone, if you care about someone, you would do everything to protect them, to keep them safe, to get them back sort of thing. I And it's like, it's funny because no one has ever thought about, you know, what you just said, which in a weird way, I'm almost like, is that the answer? Cause from the way the movie is set up, it really does seem like Hina's the only solution to the problem. You know, like there was no other person in solution to that problem. So, okay.
2: (laughs) I mean, as much as it is like a possible solution, I do feel like people would be up in arms against it because it's like, why would you waste your life over something like that? Mm, You know, and so I'm just like, yeah, you could say that. But that just also means you could be a coward to not Mm -hmm. die for it. You know, if it was a cause that you're willing to go through, then you should also be prepared to, I guess, die for it. Wow. That's just my stance. I, I know this like this took a very dark turn, which is probably going to be for the rest of this podcast. So I do apologize.
0: No, I think it's fine. I I like that stance. But okay, I think I think we definitely understand the morally gray part of these ending and why it's uh why it's so contentious and requires people to. Or not, maybe requires people, but why there's been discourse over it with different sides and stuff. But yeah, you've definitely added a third angle that I actually have not seen yet in the discourse, so that was really interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so that's your first one. What is your second one?
2: <laughs> uh, my second one is going to be on the on the movie uh, Silent Voice." Uh, for context, you guys only watched the movie, right? You didn't read the manga.
1: I did read the manga. Yes.
2: <laughs> okay, so you read the manga. So you know what happens at the end. What about you, Isabel?
1: I didn't. Yeah, I only actually only read like one chapter of the manga. So that's, that's <laughs> the same as the movie. So but yes, I did yeah. watch the movie. Uh-huh.
2: Okay, okay. Sounds good. Okay, so we'll focus on the movie then. So, as a lot of people know, A Silent Voice is a very contentious relationship between a girl who was bullied for being deaf and a boy who picked on her as her bully, but ultimately also got rejected as an outcast in society, and them trying to wade the waters of repairing this relationship or to go beyond what they had caused in terms of damage, and include, and that includes the rest of the people who were roped in to this whole bullying farce. And the big moral question I want to ask is, for many viewers out there who have been bullied or who were bullied, do you believe... If forgiving your bully, as Shoko did to Shoyo, is the correct answer or the high road, or do you believe that bullies should not be um, forgiven or that they should be condemned for the rest of their life for what they do? And I want to present this, and the answer may seem obvious, but at the same time, there's been a lot of discourse I've seen online, especially in the Western perspective, saying that forgiving your bully doesn't necessarily mean that it's a means to heal yourself, because it seems a little bit selfish that you're willing to let to forgive the bully for their transgressions and let go. But rather, you can kind of be I apologize for my wording, but you can be the better in the room, and not let them apologize and just go on with their life, knowing that you're in a better space without them and that you are not surrounded by this toxic negativity. So I want to ask you, ladies, what is your stance on the movie? And do you agree with what Shoko did? Do you not agree with what Shoko did? Or do you have a different answer to all of
1: this? Yeah, the movie is definitely a good one. Shoko, I feel like I would go with what she did. And it's either what I would do what she did because I'm facing Shoya you know, in my daily life or seeing him around. In a sense, I would forgive that person. But I could also go the other route where I would forget about him, go to a completely different country and live my life there and never think about it again. In the sense, not forgetting him, kind of more escaping from the problem altogether um, because it might pull up, you know, traumatic memories for me or something like that, especially for Shoko, I feel like, because she was bullied. And But then the reason why I think it's okay to forgive him for what he's doing is because he took so much effort to get closer to her and also kind of show that he's very sorry for what he did because i feel like when you're at that age you actually don't know too much i feel like when you're a child it's really hard to tell you know what's right or wrong sometimes even though you're doing the wrong thing and not only that a lot of these are linked to problems at home you know with the parents it usually stems from the parents or family that you might be having so being understanding of that and how like bullies might lash out in school and things like that you know it might not get better maybe they do know and maybe they don't know it's hard if they're always being tough and they're bullying everyone all the way throughout high school that's just really bad and i hope that you know usually they can find someone or a friend that can put them in their place or teach them the right way to do things um but overall i feel like shoko did the right thing and Forgiving him and giving him a chance because he wouldn't try to bully her again. He did feel really bad about it. That's what's shown throughout the show and how he tries to connect with her and then also becomes friends. So I think that's a plus. Okay. What about you, Gracie?
0: So I would personally do what uh, Shoko did for sure. I don't. Uh, so I have been bullied when I was a kid and I do not take joy at the idea of holding the higher ground or. Or even seeing someone who might have previously bullied me be in a bad spot. In fact, someone who was really mean to me did find themselves in a really, really bad place later. That it it, it brought me no joy whatsoever. If anything, I actually genuinely felt really bad because I knew how toxic of a situation they were in. And so I know personally for a fact that I would do exactly what Shoko did. But I think what's most important, maybe this is the third angle, but I think what's most important is it's whatever the victim wants to do. If the victim Mm. wants to forgive their bully, they have absolutely every right to do so. If the victim doesn't want to forgive their bully because of the things that their bully did, that has very much caused and created trauma for them. That is within their right to do so because no one else knows exactly how much it has affected their lives except for the victims themselves, which... I think Fruits Basket actually kind of answers with, you know, some of the Zodiac people learning, uh, choosing to openly forgive Akito. And then we have Rin very much being like, I'm not forgiving her, like screw her, you know, sort of thing. And, and she had every right to do so. And so that's sort of my angle on, you know, I don't even really think is what is the better choice. I think it should be the victim should have the power to choose what they would like to do in regards to how they see their victim. And if it's forgiveness to help them move on and find peace, I'm happy for them. And they should be allowed to do so without getting mocked or thought as weak or too forgiving, quote unquote. And if the victim decides that, you know, what the bully has done is just far too traumatizing and it's better for them to just never think of them, to never let them cross their mind or like get like be a present in their life uh, again, and you know, and in that sense, not forgive them, then I support that because you know what, only sh- they know the best way to help themselves in regards to the emotional trauma that a bully has caused. So that's my view on it. And I do want to commend Isabel for bringing up how a lot of these bullies, unfortunately, are kids who might not know better, which I think I maybe the movie didn't do as good of a job, but I think the manga did make pretty clear on how the teacher who is oh absolutely the adult who is the one that should have told this precocious very very small kid who is naughty and not very you know well disciplined hey you cannot do that this is not what this is not good other people you know just because it makes other people laugh doesn't mean it's the right thing to do did it. So it's like, in a way, because he was, and especially when I see how young Shoya was, like, we have to be honest here. All of us have, as kids, have probably said and done some things that we know for a fact is wrong that we shouldn't have done as an adult, but we definitely wouldn't have got there as a kid because we don't understand is the thing. And Shoya Shoya was honestly at an age, especially with a single mother who was barely making ends meet, like... his situation is definitely not in a and not in an environment where people sit him down and tell him like these things are not okay. Just because other kids are laughing with you doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. That responsibility really lies on the teacher who chose to turn a complete blind eye and even laughed along with him on it. And so, um, and so, so I think this is why I think a silent voices like approach of bullying is extraordinarily well done because as difficult as it is to admit sometimes the bullies in school really are kids who have a lot to learn and maybe like maybe just maybe not an entire fault lie on them because because there might not be other people in their life guiding them on what's right and wrong and it's like and life is really just a you know trial and error sort of situation I actually, this reminds me, I watched a YouTube video once of a guy who decided to cold call someone who bullied him in high school because he felt like he was ready and he really wanted to understand why that guy bullied him in high school and cold called him and the guy remembered him and everything. And when he asked the, the, um, the guy, uh, the guy who used to bully him, like profusely apologized and said, like, you know, he's actually been thinking about the actions he did in high school, and as an adult, when he looks back on it, he he doesn't understand why and in, in whichever world he lived in mentally that he thought that was somehow okay, but in high school it really did feel okay for him and his friends thought it was funny and no one else had said anything about it and so he thought he was powerful and great and he's like and he's like obviously it was the worst thing i could have done and like really 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 apologized and you can tell how genuine he was about it and so it's it's difficult to hear that you know sometimes these people really do just they don't have the right guidance in the environment for them to make the quote unquote right choice to be, to know that, you know, mocking someone does isn't necessarily funny, but you're taking pleasure in people's pain, but you think it's funny. It's, it's so many things psychologically that's like muddled and difficult, especially when you're a kid, especially when you're growing up and that suddenly becomes clear when you're an adult. And so um and I and I do think a Silent Voice just does such a good job with that especially with choosing Shoya uh, Shoya's age when he first started doing the bullying and no like that is a kid right there who is being very bad and naughty and needs discipline and no one gave it to him. So so yeah, that's my whole spiel about Asylum Voice.
2: <laughs> so in essence it's more of like it now boils down to the theme of nature versus nurture in which it's not necessarily the Bully's personality and that you should forgive them for it, but also forgive the circumstances that spurned this in the first place, whether it's issues at home or whether it's because people around you endorse it or encourage it because they themselves are not, they're not courageous enough to say, no, that is wrong.
0: I wouldn't necessarily say uh, forgive because once again, I think it is the victim's choice on whether they want to forgive the perpetrator or not. And if they don't want to forgive it, that is absolutely within their right to do so. And if they do, that is absolutely within their right to do so. I think it's more just understanding that things can be very multifaceted at times, like this instance of a Shoya's thing, because yes, I absolutely like, yes, some kids naturally have a more aggressive personality you know there are people who are naturally more aggressive who naturally might like to like jump into fights more often than other kids who might be more about keeping the peace But that doesn't mean you can't sit them down and guide them and tell them how much level of aggression is okay. You know, like aggression in sports and being competitive, wanting to win. Yeah, that's good. Starting to mock your opponents for losing and stuff like that. No, that's bad. You know, some things, some kids don't need to be taught and that's great for them. But some kids do need to be taught and it's not really fair to just magically expect them to. Be that to be the angelic kid because you know, some kids just require more extra guidance, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. And that's definitely the case with Shoya, he required extra guidance that he wasn't getting, and his life got upturned into absolute misery to the point that he was uh, contemplating suicide because he, as a kid with a teacher who refused to say anything about how his behavior is actually wrong and explained to him before it all snowballed, um, got chosen as the scapegoat for it. And so it's just, I mean, this is why silent voice is so good. And in like the, any bullying situation is just so multifaceted, especially, but I think, especially when it's involving kids, You can't just say that kid is a bully and a bad guy, and that's the end of the story. There's obviously something else going on inside it. So
2: yeah. Any last thoughts, Isabel? Oh, no. So so basically, Gracie hit the nail on the head in in that case. Um, That we all agree that Shoko did what the right thing was. But in the end, it is the victim's choice to do as they please in order to um, feel at peace with themselves if that's the more accurate say, instead of saying like, which one is like the higher road, it's more of like, where do you find yourself in a better place?
0: Yes, yes, exactly. And I, I like that you picked that one because, uh, a lot of people loved a silent voice for obvious reasons, but I did see those pockets of people who are like, I feel like Shoko shouldn't have to, uh, shouldn't have to forgive him or that Shoya even deserved his own bullying because he was the one getting bullied and stuff like that. And so, And so it's like, oh, so I feel like it's hard to sympathize with him and stuff like that. So it obviously did start some discourse and some questions per se, which is why I'm just ultimately at it is the victim's choice on what they would like to do. And you should not shame them for either choice that they do end up making. So, yeah,
2: because at the end of the day, we're all humans. We all get to make the choice ourselves. Yes, exactly. And it is in our own right and nobody else's right.
0: Yes, exactly.
2: Okay. Wow. That was great. I, I really wanted to touch upon that because that was a, a manga when I read the one shot. It was so long ago when I read it. And then when it started to get popular because of the movie, I was like, this is a great time to bring it up because it's such a relevant question, especially in our generation, where we have a lot of cyberbullying mm-hmm. and we have a lot of yeah. people on the internet who do exactly the same thing. Um, and it's not excluded to just being in a school environment as well. So that's why I thought it was great. And I'm really glad that I could hear your guys' input on it as well. Um, the third series that I want to follow up on is not a movie, but it's a TV series called 91 Days. Um, I know, I think both of you have watched it, right?
0: Yes, I have yeah. at least. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. So for the viewer's discretion, uh, 91 Days is a story about revenge, about a young boy named Avillo, who now, whose family was murdered by a, rival mafia group and he harbors this deep revenge as he grows older and in his teens he receives a letter from a a quote-unquote family friend of his father who tells him who the killers were and the entire series is him setting up this elaborate plot to get close to the family and to get close to the son of the family as well in order to take them down assassination style uh, but along the way, he makes friends and he actually becomes relatively close to the son named Nero. And they shared a lot of values and beliefs and have saved each other quite a number of times throughout the series. But in the end, Avilo chooses to kill Nero. And even Nero, although was shocked about the revelation, decided to go along with it. For both of you who have seen the series up until its end, do you agree with or perhaps have other feelings or ideas about the ending that Avilo chose in spite of the whole fact that he basically raised an entire mafia family down to the ground. He basically scapegoated his friend, Corteo, into this mess and ultimately got him killed and that nothing really is resolved.
0: I remember 91 Days really well because it ironically had similar shades to a novel series that I have been literally work on working on. It feels like my entire lifetime. It's not my entire lifetime, but I <laughs> have been working on it for a long time. But that being said, I think 91 Days is really good. <laughs> it's really, really good.
2: It's really good. Yeah. I
0: Where I personally stand on this morally gray thing is, I get it. It's You know, he was a child when his whole family got gunned down. That is extraordinarily traumatizing. It kind of reminds me of the whole Sasuke's dogged revenge chasing after Itachi thing before he realized his own brother was also forced into that position and stuff. And so because Mm. as a child, these like as a child... These sort of things are traumatizing, like it's traumatizing enough as an adult. Now, imagine a kid where their brain isn't even fully developed yet, and all these stuff happens like it's insane the kind of damage it can do. The part that was hardest for me that made me not side with him the whole way, even if I understand him, is how he roped his best friend, Cornero, into it. Yeah, especially yeah. because his best friend was not at any shape or form involved with mafia activities in the first place. His best friend was a normal person who grew up in a normal family with no such ties to illegal activities, who decided to join the whole... What time period was that? When, you know, alcohol was... It's
2: prohibition. Yeah. So Cotero's family was actually taken in by the same family that Avila was a part of. So they are, like, inexplicitly tied to Mafia. Oh, okay. But in a way, Corteo was Corteo's father worked with the same It was worked with the same mafia group as Avilo's father was, but he was much lower on the scale. Okay. And so Corteo was more or less um Kind of a minor figure, but at the same time he was also dealing with booze halfway through the story. And this is during Prohibition time too. So it's not he's not exactly innocent either. Okay,
0: okay. So that does clear some things up because I'm like, that's why they're friends. But that being said, Cornero clearly Cornero clearly didn't really want to be part of this. And he was very uncomfortable through the whole thing. And it kind of drove him mad the The more the series yeah. went on. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because he was in something that he didn't really understand the depth of. Or because his entire family, even with their involvement in the mafia, now I know, is just so low on the totem pole. Probably wouldn't, like get noticed in any other day in regards to it aside from their very good wine making skills and so um which is what cornero was good at was he was making he was really good at making the alcohol but yeah so it was his roping in of his best friend who really just like got driven crazy by this whole thing while not really being on board or fully understanding exactly what's going on and stuff that was that was probably the most painful part for me And that was the part where, you know, he kind of lost me because I'm like, that's your, that really is your best friend there who, you know, was, was helping you, supporting you through thick and thin. And you forced, you manipulating him, like not literally forced, but did manipulate him. You manipulated him into a situation that's way over his head and you literally, and because of that, you made him go mad from it. And so, and so it's just like, to me, that was just so cruel in a way towards someone who who is actually part of the people that you love and care about that I'm just like I I draw like I can't like I can understand having that Hatred and wanting to bring that family down because of what they did to your family But I am not okay with the way that you manipulated the people around a uh, person around you into it who was clearly unprepared and didn't fully understand the situation Um, And ultimately gets killed because of that. And so, yeah, that's where I drew the line on 91 Days.
2: And to do a callback to our last episode on Grey Morality. And I think that's what draws the difference between Avilo and Sasuke, in which Sasuke actually does not rope anybody into yes. his grand mm-hmm. revenge scheme when he figures out his brother is alive and he does everything by himself, actually. Yeah. I mean, we, we always criticize about how like Sakura's weak and he like, you know, karate <laughs> chops her in the back of the neck and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. but in a way, it's to prevent people from following him to whatever misdeeds that he's going to do next. And also cutting off Naruto as well yeah, from the encounter. Yeah, and in the fact, encounter.
0: his other org- like he had a mini team later, but all three members of that mini team knew exactly what he wanted to do, why he wanted to do it. Like they were in the know and ridiculously. Oh yeah, cutting and
2: uh, the the Shark Boy, right? Yes,
0: yes. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's completely different situation for Cornero, who really didn't have a clear understanding of exactly what was going on until it was too late and he was already unstable. So, yeah.
2: (laughs)
1: Yeah, I totally get
2: that. What do you think, Isabel? Yeah,
1: I pretty much agree with what Gracie said. You know, it's sad that if maybe if his friend was, you know, on board, like, oh, okay, I'll do this for you. It's okay. You know, let's handshake and I'll help you out with this. And he knows why then it might have been okay because this is, you know, his whole plot of bringing out down the family and things like that. Uh, But the other thing I'm curious about Agnes is that, you know, the question is, you know, if he should have truly pursued, you know, taking revenge against the whole family, or what do you think would be the alternative kind of not taking revenge and trying to live his own life? And I mean, he probably can't forgive that family for what he, what they did, but do you think maybe the other option is probably to escape halfway, become friends with, um, on Nero, or just maybe kill Nero's dad because I think he is basically his, the, uh, his dad was the boss. He was basically not involved in it at all, which is why it was a huge surprise to him, right?
2: Yeah, it was actually somebody who manipulated uh, everything from the shadows, and it wasn't necess- The Vanetti's were also in on it, but they were not really in the know. It was the person who sent. Uh, Avilo the letter, who was actually the one manipulating the strings. In your question regarding if they should have escaped Lawless, I don't think they have the power to escape Lawless themselves Mm -hmm. or their past in general because this is Prohibition era, so the Sicilian Mafia would have had a lot of control over the big metropolitan areas. So even though Avilo did actually go into hiding in the Midwest for like seven years before he came back to Lawless, I don't think he would have been able to support himself financially or been able to inexplicitly drag himself from that mess in the first place but i do agree my own headcanon unfortunately <laughs> is he should have killed like the vanetti family or whatever but he should have taken nero along with him realizing that nero is also part of like the collateral damage and that nero doesn't actually have nero actually didn't shoot any he actually tried to shoot Avilio? Yeah, he was but he, only out of fear. Yeah, he well yeah. no,
0: not even that. He was a teenager at that time because he's older yeah. than Avilio and he had it was his job technically to shoot uh Avilio because like a kid was escaping no one in that family was allowed to be alive and he couldn't do it because a teenager was watching a kid run for his life and I think anyone can understand why that is a terrifying thing and so um and and like nero himself i remember this because there was like a scene where after everything's out in the open Avilio asked nero like why he even like bothered sparing him and stuff like that and nero admitted it was because he was too scared to pull the trigger he just couldn't do it and so um so yeah you're in a way like you're right nero is indirectly part of that collateral damage because you know, he like he's a teenager, but he's also a kid involved in something that he should not be involved in, and not of his choice because his entire family is involved in it. So, um, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So to go off of that, I do feel like in the wake of Cornero's death, realizing that he that Avila has strung along so many people for his sake of revenge that maybe if he could have saved at least one person. It would be Nero who actually did spare his life at the end. They don't need to like go off and have like rainbows and be like best bros for life and the rest of their life, but really like leave their past behind because as we know by the end of this series, the Mafia's influence doesn't really stop there. Another family, the Galatias family that was supposed to have a, um, a marriage between them and the Venetis were going to come out on top anyway. Mm So in a sense, like ninety one days is very conflicting because it's such a futile end to what Avila was doing, and he kind of goes a bit crazy too by the end of it. And there's no real good or right answer as to what he did. It may have satisfied him momentarily, but the repercussions leading up to that is very drastic.
0: Yeah, for sure. And he even and he and the anime even shows it too how dismal of. A situation it was because there was that initial swell of satisfaction, you know, when he saw that entire family goes down and it lasted at most a single night and then it was gone. Yeah. And he realized he was just alone again with nothing else to do all over again, exactly the same. And so he never moved from the spot that he, ev- he originally found himself miserably in. And in fact, I would argue he was even in a a more miserable spot now, because before that, he did still have Cornero to hang out with, to talk with, and he's even lost that in that quest for revenge. So yeah.
2: <laughs> in the quest for revenge, he kills everything that he knew, and now that he's alone again, he doesn't know how to like live himself. Yeah,
0: exactly. I I mean, it's a very dismal look, but also uh, I think that's the whole point of revenge as a whole, which I think this is something that most people agree with. Revenge is very empty at the end of the day because ultimately, when you do all these things to take uh to take revenge on someone that either has hurt you or some or someone you cared about, that hurt on you doesn't get erased. It's still there. You still find yourself feeling that trauma, that misery that it had given you. And, um, and even if in a drastic, if in in a drastic example, like in this case where his entire family is dead, like, yeah, he brought down that entire family. So, you know, he's still the only survivor. He still doesn't have his younger brother back. He doesn't have his mom or dad back. It's still just him. And he's in the exact same spot that he suddenly, it's like he walked in in a full circle and he's back in the exact same spot and facing the exact same direction as well. So, Uh, Which I think is good because I do think that's revenge as a whole, as a philosophy is very similar to that, to that idea, but it does make it for a very hard anime to watch, so. Yeah,
1: it's just so sad. I mean, like, what do you do with those emotions? Same thing when we mentioned, like, Sasuke, he's just, like, has those emotions throughout his whole life and just defines him as a person, which is kind of depressing in a sense. Yeah. Yeah but hey now he's an awkward dork of a dad
2: so you know oh god he's so, <laughs> so awkward it's so sad
0: <laughs> that's why every comments always say whatever it's like a, a, they we call him let's so call papa sasuke but it's like every time he shows up and he's like doing that all the comments sections just filled with people be like oh at least he's trying
2: <laughs> so- <laughs> <laughs> at least he's trying <laughs> Yeah, I feel like 91 Days is definitely bleak. It is hard to watch, but it definitely does offer like the image of what it looks like after revenge is taking rather than a lot of other animes like to capitalize and romanticize the idea of revenge mm-hmm. as motives to a character. And usually those endings are very lackluster because it's one of those where it's like, oh, the character eventually takes the high ground and like saves everybody rather than showing us like, what does it actually look like? And I feel that video games do this concept better in showing what happens when revenge goes full circle because the characters do end up really depressed versus in regular media it's very like oh everything's fine now. Yeah, know? it's
0: either so it's either, really either they do this. choose to forgive the people which is fine by the way, you know forgiveness is a is a way to heal. So uh so it's either they A choose to forgive the person or B, B, they do take revenge, but the bad guys are just so disgusting and unrootable that you're just like, yeah, you know, with your arms raised. (laughs) Your emotions go full throttle. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like, it's a heroic thing. It's like you defended your pride, you know, sort of thing. Rather rather than, you know, a 91 days, which is actually, no, you're back in exactly where you started and you feel just as miserable as before, if not even more so because you've lost your purpose now so
2: (laughs) absolutely well I'm glad we're all on the same page here that Avilo's cause was not exactly great but it's a good way to show that revenge should not be taken lightly and that it can end with very drastic consequences that lead people astray and the people they love astray Ah, uh, so the last show I want to talk about, actually, sorry, it's a, mo- it's another movie. It's one of my favorite anime movies, but it does come with a lot of trigger warnings. So for people who are listening in, proceed to watch this movie with caution. Surround yourself with stuffed animals or whatever <laughs> you hold dear to yourself because it is hard to stomach. I felt queasy on my second watch and this film is called Harmony by Project Edo. Now, Harmony is part of a three-part series by Project Ito, who unfortunately passed away from cancer several years ago, but the trilogy focuses on the idea of human will, and in Harmony, it focuses on a dystopian world where basically World War III happens, called the Maelstrom, people go crazy, people go riotous, and in the wake of the Maelstrom, the governments decide to get together and create this system called the administration, as a pun on administration and medical and what the administration does is that it is a revolutionary technology that inserts nano basically nanobots into your system that regulate everything that's going on with your body in terms of like how well it's functioning how well you're proceeding on with life and it works in 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 conjunction with these lenses that you wear that tell you like oh how many calories you're gonna eat today or who is this person and Because of this administration system, society has become a better and more uh, life-supporting system in which it all supports life and everybody lives happily and perfectly. But the downside to living in this administration world that is shown through the characters of three girls who decide to commit suicide is that the administration doesn't let you choose to do what you want and that it is actually a nefarious system that arrests people's wills and force them into a harmonious state if the government chooses to trigger it. People who are subjected into this administration system are very focused on like maintaining the status quo in society, while there are many other characters who choose not to embrace this administration program and risk living on the edge with disease, um, pandemics, and also like not feeding, not keeping your body healthy. And I wanted to ask this question for the ladies here, especially because we all live in a very, an, a fairly modernized society where medical, where med, the medical system is for, is very important and people always talk about like taking care of your bodies. How do you think about living in a world like this in harmony?
1: I think it would be very frustrating for me personally because it feels like I don't really have a choice. I think the point is, you know, living, you would have, you know, the idea of what you want to do with your life in a sense, you you can choose maybe, you know, in that society, but it's kind of pre-made for you or, you know, predetermined for you that you're going to go this way. You're going to earn this many points in life and you're going to stay in this part of society. And I mean, it it looks good. It's like perfect. It's kind of, I feel like what we're trying to go towards, but obviously we're far away from it now. Um, But in a sense, I would like to have the choice of be living in that type of society or not living in it is what it is for me so
2: you would rather straddle with dealing with like life or death and making your own choices rather than subjecting to yourself a society that takes care of it for you
1: right exactly i would i would probably be on the side where they kind of kind of go rogue and maybe live off the grid and mm-hmm. maybe you know if there's a choice then maybe we'll go over there but i would also want to do it with a group of people i feel like if I were to go at it alone, that would be so difficult for me. I don't even know where to start, and I feel like it would be super lonely as well. But if there's a group of people who are willing to do that and kind of express themselves in a way – because I, when I was watching the movie, everyone was – everything was like super white. I feel like they were trying to turn yeah. humans into robots is what it was.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah. didn't watch it.
1: Okay, okay great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that kind of scared me. Like Everyone looks – all the colors, it's just so white. I'm like, where is it? Where's the color? everyone? Everything's very pink too. <laughs> yeah, pink, and it was so weird. <laughs> yeah, pink because it represents like lifeism.
2: It's like blood in your veins. Like the whole society is struck, like designed to look like blood vessels and
1: everything too. Oh, that's why. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was wondering like why are the cities designed like that? I was I was looking for a world more a little bit more like psychopaths. Oh, no, it's not like psychopathic. It actually. Your body is a temple. Yeah, it reminded
0: me. It actually reminded me of. Have you guys seen the episode Nosedive for Black Mirror?
2: No, Um, I have not. It actually
0: kind of reminded me of that because Black Mirror, everyone wears pastel. It's very, like, instead of white, but it is very bright, you know, sort of thing, giving off this utopia feel for it. So, yeah.
2: (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah, so there are. So, there definitely has been, like, echoing sentiments in other pieces of media than if Black Mirror is also producing it. And also psychopaths, in a way, too, talking about the morality Mm. of people living in a society and having to conform to becoming perfect. And, like, being perfect also means, like, cherishing your bodies, but that also means... In at least in Harmony's world, foregoing the idea of indulging yourself in things like if you like chocolates, you can't really eat chocolates all the time because your augmented system's going to be like, "Hey, you're not treating your body right." But you or, could or- like
0: dabble in it, right? Like if you just want a sweet that day and stuff like that. Sorry, I I, I actually didn't have time to watch the movie itself. Before. So
2: you could. But you would get, like, basically windows pop up in these augmented lenses saying, warning, this has this many calories. This may do this to your body and may offer you alternatives instead.
0: Uh, this is, okay, this is difficult. I, I wish this, <laughs> I wish I could answer this easily. But I also am trying to, like, put myself in that situation. Like, what what happened if I am in that world? Like, I was born in that world and I am a resident of that world. And like with my personality as it is right now, it's just, I can't easily say that I would forego the administration to live on the fringes and worry about diseases and like pandemics and, you know, stuff like that. Especially now. Yeah. Like I fear death way too much. And there's a part of me that feels like I wouldn't even mind too much if they gave me windows and reminders and being like, oh, you've eat like, you know, you've eaten this much chocolates, you can't eat anymore and stuff like that. Like I would be capable of stopping myself and be like, oh, okay, like I shouldn't, you know, sort of thing. I think the only thing that's unfortunate is that they don't offer psychotherapy because if they did offer therapy on top of all these other stuff, that's like about maintaining like your body and making sure it's healthy like that would make it even harder for me to deny it, in <laughs> honesty because i would be like because the problem is i do know there are people out there who like obviously no one agrees with the idea of having your will completely taken away you know no one agrees with the idea of like you know having a system completely uh completely engage and tell you exactly where you should go, what you should do and what you should be like. But I but at least for the body part where it's like you know your body is a temple so everything is focused on that. I do know a, I, do, I do know people out there who would actually who have actually said that, you know, they wish there was a system that just forces them to do these things because it would force them to take better care of themselves because they're unable to emotionally take care of themselves. I know, like, um, I, one of my friends who had an eating disorder at one point, she, like, was just not eating and lost a a scary ton of weight, like, a scary, scary, scary ton of weight. When the I saw her between, like, one year and another, and I almost froze in fear because of how much weight she lost, like, it was clear that she was not eating. And she, when she realized she had an issue, it was really hard for her to you know, logically be able to tell herself at different times of the day to be like, you need to eat and gain weight and you need to eat these kind of carbs, these kind of proteins and stuff like that. And she herself has admitted to me that during that time when she was, you know, trying to regain her health, that she wished there was just a system that could just automatically tell her it's time. You have to eat. Here are all the things you have to eat, whether you like it or not, because she's reached a point where she knows that's the case, but she doesn't emotionally have the strength to do so. And having an authority tell her is actually more powerful and, and helps her towards her goal faster and stuff. So it's like it, it's it's weird. It's really weird. is what I can say. I, I don't know. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it, because like, there's so much that we can do as humans and us to motivate ourselves to do things. And by having a system such as lifeism and the administration, it makes things so much easier, we don't have to think twice about it. And we feel like we can be at peace without having to worry about making all these difficult choices, or rather motivate ourselves to make these difficult choices. Mm-hmm. I know there are a handful of people who that I've encountered who have been medically ill or mentally ill, but they have professed to me how taking medication is always like a choice to them. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes it's difficult because the idea of taking medication means like you're weak, you're unable to, you know, process things, you're not able to function right in society. And they want to prove that they don't need the medication Mm -hmm. in order to be normal. Yeah. in a sense, by having the administration system, it could potentially help them much better. It normalizes to to it. Be, yeah, yeah. To normalize it. But then I also understand some of the characters in the series who say like, well, why have your will be taken away from you when you end up becoming like a robot? Like that's not how humans should live. And many of the characters who do live on the fringes, like the Turogs, which are like a nomadic group, only accept some of the um, the administration's nanobots just so that they can, like, watch themselves for certain diseases, but they don't necessarily connect themselves to the network so that they don't feel like they've lost their touch with humanity.
0: Yeah, I think, like, like it, that's what I'm saying. Like, if there is a middle ground, that would be amazing, you know? But if it's just, like, one or the other... I think in that world I would just fear death too much and I probably would be part of the administration and be miserable along the way, but you know uh but I think but it's it's difficult. Like, you know, like do you wanna just live and be really healthy but also miserable at the same time or risk death? I don't know. I- I'm not
2: gonna answer <laughs> this. Is <too> <laughs> <difficult>. <laughs> Meanwhile, Isabelle's sense of freedom is like, no, we will go at the end, together. <laughs> i am probably siding more with isabel because a lot of what's shown in um in harmony is that there's a lack of freedom to pursue things that you want and also a very um minimized version of culture as well in which as The main character, Tuan, tries to navigate through this maze and try to understand what's going on. She looks at the Japanese society that she hates so much that has conformed to the administration system versus the other cultures outside that don't conform, but they still retain like their cultural pride, their food, their customs and things like that. And never really tries to force them. Into conforming to the administration's needs and the who's needs of uniting them, but simply gives them some access to the anab- to the nanobots uh, if they so choose desire in the first half of the movie at least. I see. So I would be more like Isabel siding, although I would probably go at it by myself <laughs> because I'm a little bit more fearless <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I, I would be fine if, like, if my mom decides, like, oh, I want to be part of the administration system. I'm like, all right, that's fine. I'll go out on my own. But I'll make sure I'm safe. Don't worry, mom. I'll come home. <laughs> kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to subject myself entirely to this system when the world is so much more beautiful with risk and with people who are willing to take mm-hmm. it and embrace their humanity and will.
0: I see. No, that makes sense. I am unfortunately not as fearless as you guys. I definitely am cowardly (laughs) at times, especially about death and pain and stuff like that. So, yeah, this was a little harder for me to pick, but I had a feeling that you two would have it a little easier um, because I do feel like you guys are definitely braver than me. But meanwhile, I'm just like, (laughs)
2: hey, you know, I mean, at one point, at some point in the day, comfort and security is is the prime reason of how we survive Mm -hmm. right so i don't blame you at all i don't blame you at all because i feel like there are other people out there in this world who would take even more risk than i would and i would just be like Nah, i'm fine in my you know comfortable suburban wherever i'm living you know (laughs) and not have to deal with taking risk but yeah um that sums up all of the series that i've had i'm so glad i had this conversation because there's a lot of really good topics that we came up with and a lot of really good answers that we have uh, thank you guys so much for indulging me on this no, and also no, listening good, to me like list stuff yeah, for out. Sure. <laughs> Thanks
0: for bringing those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Those are those are good choices to have. Uh, but yeah, so that concludes our second um, gray morality part. Obviously, we have a third one co- uh, eventually coming up with Isabel, where she gets to pick her choices. But hopefully, you guys had some fun listening to us discuss these more sticky, tricky situations in anime and see like why these sort of discussions are just so much fun to have because we all have different opinions. And the best part is, there really is no right answer to these sort of things. So, well, I would say there is a right answer, as you should control free will but the question was more like what would you do and that's tricky for me so on the last one
2: would you surrender yourself or would you be
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah uh well thanks everyone for listening and i hope you've had a fun time and i hope you'll be with us next time bye everyone Bye Bye, bye